0: You know, we're always trying to figure out like, okay, great celebrity, great, you know, amazing basketball player. We can follow you around with a camera. That's not hard, but it's like, what are we, what are we trying to say? Like, why are we really going to do this?
1: Hello, and welcome back to South Asian Stories, where we hear from South Asians around the world and uncover their identities, successes, failures, and most importantly, stories. I'm your host, Samir Desai. In this episode, I chat with Gotham Chopra. Gotham is a Sports Emmy Award winning director of Tom vs. Time, Kobe Bryant's Muse, and the Sports Emmy nominated documentary series Shut Up and Dribble in partnership with NBA All Star LeBron James, Spring Hill Entertainment, and Showtime Networks. Currently, Chopra directed Steph vs. the Game in partnership with NBA All-Star Steph Curry and his company Unanimous, and is the second installment of the Versus series on Facebook. In addition to his film work, Gotham has directed several commercials, including Nike's 2016 Olympic campaign Road to Rio, and the new documentary Margin of Victory for Under Armour that stars Steph Curry, Kelly O'Hara, and Anthony Joshua. Gotham is the creator of the R- Religion of Sports brand, which he found together with NFL icons Tom Brady and Michael Strahan and is a co-executive producer of the series by the same name. Chopra has also launched his podcast, Why Sports Matter, produced by Religion of Sports, airing on Ken Cadence 13 podcast network. This conversation was amazing. We discussed how he got his start in sports and documentary storytelling through ESPN 30, for Thirty. Gotham's favorite sports moment of all time. Hint, he's a Boston fan as well as a Brady fan and the creation of Religion of Sports brand and what's next for him. Again, this interview was amazing, really interesting, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, Gotham Chopra Gotham, welcome to South Asian Stories. We're super excited to have you on
0: thank you so much i'm I'm really thrilled to be here.
1: As we were talking a little bit before, I'm a huge fan of your work. I've seen Tom versus Time, I've seen Steph versus the game, and you know, being South Asian and seeing you do so many great things like this, it's it's really, really inspiring. We're just we're excited to hear your story.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm excited to share it. You know, I I really love what I do, and so, but it's always nice to hear when other people are reacting to it, seeing it. um, That's great affirmation. So, yeah, I'm excited to to talk about it all.
1: Yeah. So let's start a little bit at the beginning. Um, can you talk to us uh, about your childhood and where you grew up and tell us that side of your life?
0: Sure. Um, so, you know, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, where I was born. I'm first generation American. So, uh, you know, my I'm the first person in my family to be born outside of South Asia. Uh, <laughs> my parents were immigrants probably in the early 70s originally to New Jersey but then migrated to Boston which is yeah where I was born and and that's really where I grew up pretty much right up until I went to college and so all my formative years and it's where I definitely developed my you know my Boston obsession sports obsession um you know I always like looking back now realize like sports i think and becoming a you know Patriots and Celtics Red Sox Bruins fan It was essentially cultural assimilation for me. It was becoming becoming American, because no one in my family, you know, knew anything about any of those teams. Um, And so it's really like where I formed my Americanness.
1: Yeah, same. I One of my earliest memories is my brother and I watching the Cowboys games with my dad. And we would not really understanding what was happening, but just remember how the feeling of it was just so exciting to watch the game and my dad getting excited. And, you know, I felt like I could have something to talk about with my friends, which was really cool. Was that a similar experience for you?
0: I mean, except for the... <laughs> <laughs> part about my dad like i mean to this day i don't think my dad really kind of knows the difference between football and baseball like he wouldn't you know be able to tell whether tom brady or you know um or uh david ortiz like what team they're playing on etc <laughs> um you know i it's interesting so the the feeling of like falling in love with sports, very similar to what you described sort of becoming part of something bigger than yourself and maybe not even understanding the rules necessarily when you're a kid, but just being excited by it. But I'm not sure where, like it didn't come. I didn't have older siblings who are into it. I didn't have cousins who are into it. I didn't have, I was into it. And in a way like this, I feel like if you talk to people I grew up with and and my co- younger cousins, especially, or even like my Aunts and uncles, like I was the one who started it for our whole, whole community, and like to this day, like all my uncles, especially, are now huge like fans for years. But in some ways, I feel like I was I was the <laughs> catalyst for our whole South Asian community.
1: You showed them the way, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then, so you went to Colombia, as I understand. Where did you start your? work into understanding, hey, I'm interested in storytelling. I really like sports. Was it at that point, did you decide I wanted to combine those two interests? Or why did that happen?
0: No, I mean, I was always a sports fan, you know, and I mean, I was a sort of athlete in high school, but you know, never really went much beyond that. <laughs> um, so I was like, had a sort of personal passion for sports, but it was, it was, you know, fun. And then, in college, um, you know, college for me was a bunch of different things and I studied a lot of different things. And one of the great things about Columbia is you have the core curriculum the first two years, but then the last two years you kind of can do whatever you want. And I very much did. So I kept on switching majors and doing that whole thing, ended up sort of graduating without any major but three, you know, at Columbia they're called concentrations um, so I knew I loved storytelling, English, religion, film were like my three areas of concentration. And then when I graduated, um, like my first real job out of college was uh, at a place called Channel One. Mm-hmm. Channel One uh, no longer exists, but it was an in-class news network um, all over the country. So it's a news network that broadcasts pretty much for you know American high school students. And I got this amazing opportunity to basically be a reporter. And and most of the stuff I did was foreign correspondence. So I was traveling all over the world to a lot of actually conflict areas. So, you know, Chechnya and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Colombia and Iran, Iraq, all these places. And it was really like at a really interesting time, both obviously in terms of what was going on in the world. It was sort of 2000 2001 that time but also um but also like a really interesting time in terms of technology so the movement from traditional like video to digital video was happening Mm -hmm. cameras etc and so that's where I really got my first you know I was an on air in front of the camera reporter but everything started to change and it's like no you have to carry the camera you have to like also sort of be behind the camera at the same time I mean now we've that's, that's just the world we live in. But I was there, like, kind of at the beginning of that. And that's kind of where I really learned that form of storytelling, I guess, uh, like documentary storytelling. And then I would say it was a couple years later where, like, sports sort of came back more from just, like, a personal obsession to, like, oh, there's a there's an industry now. And I, I credit, like, 30 for 30, you know, that that franchise, that ESPN brand that really kind of made the world of sports storytelling, like sports documentaries, elevated it. It wasn't just like for sports fans. It was now like, oh, no, this is real storytelling, real documentaries, like legit filmmakers, great filmmakers are coming in and telling these stories. And uh, that's kind of probably later, 2006, 2007, where I started to really like immerse myself in that.
1: And how did you, when you started to immerse yourself with that, what was your first big break? Like, how did you, as someone, you know, who who's listening, they're probably like, wow, he's done all these very different experiences, but was it a certain person you talked to or connection that you had that got you your first big break into producing your first big documentary?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, as is always the case, I'd been tinkering and doing a whole bunch of other stuff, and, and I definitely had you know, a lot of experience in traditional documentary or more news-oriented documentary through the stuff I was doing at Channel One. But, you know, the first real break, I guess, big break in um, sports was with ESPN, was with, um, so there's, you know, I was very friendly at the time and still am with Connor Shell, who was one of the creators along with Bill Simmons of 30 for 30. Mm-hmm. And I convinced, you know, I'd sort of spent a, big chunk of my life growing up. I mean, i always grew up um, in the U.S., but spent a lot of my summers in India with my family, sure. um, you know, sure. my my grandparents. My And so I was sort of very familiar, very comfortable with India. Kind of knew cricket, but didn't really like, you know, I wasn't certainly not an obsessive fan the same way I was like of oh, baseball, the Red Sox. But I, you know, I could kind of definitely talk my way through it and so I convinced Connor and ESPN to let me do like a documentary on um on the Indian cricket team like the national team and oh, Sachin cool. Tendulkar and you know to be honest like I probably didn't know as much as I claimed to know um <laughs> but we went out and like you know I think obviously people like at ESPN, Connor had kind of seen the data and knew like, man, like this is a huge sport. Yeah. This is a huge athlete. We should be doing that. So I'd say that was like one break. And then the other one was just more like synchronicitous, which is, you know, this is probably in like 2011, 2012 or something like that. I, um, I happened to go to a, uh, like, um, char- charity function, I sat next to Kobe Bryant, and Kobe and I are pretty much the same age, I think, and um, so I grew up, we grew up in the same era, huge basketball fan, sure. but I grew up in Boston. He's a Laker legend, but not only that, but like a grew up a huge Laker fan, and so he and I just like kind of hit it off in a very sort of... contentious way like debate you know talking about the 80s celtics versus lakers and so i just developed this relationship with kobe and kobe was at the time like you know already at that time probably thinking about life after basketball and what he was going to do and he's a great storyteller and and he definitely knew that's something he wanted to do so he and i started like literally from that night um but onwards talking about like the idea of collaborating together. And then I was in India working on that touch and um, documentary when Kobe got injured, ruptured his Achilles and that night um, texted me. I was in India and said, Hey, this is now's the time like, right. to start that project we've been talking about. And, and so, you know, that obviously was like, that became a big high profile thing with Kobe and a really amazing experience for me and relationship for me Um, and I would say that so those two things you know were the ones that really like launched all of this now
1: that is so cool and one of the things you mentioned in one of your other interviews that I loved is how to get down to the anatomy of greatness and and Kobe out of all the athletes is one of those people that has that relentless drive, someone that is an icon in the sports industry and outside. Were you ever nervous talking to Kobe and saying, hey, I, I want to work with you and let's get this started? I mean, his at his fandom and his popularity is just out of this room. Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah. I mean, look, he's,
0: <laughs> first of all, if, if you're a fan of the game and right. and i am i have been my whole life and so i'd followed kobe a lot you know and, and you know i was a celtics fan so i joked with him all the time I'm like i've you know this achilles injury you're suffering like i feel bad i've i've wished this upon you so many times um but like you know so i knew also kobe's kind of at his best when um this tension it's like you know he's he's a combative sort of guy like you know if you are you know somebody who's watched the game then you knew actually like he and Shaq won three championships together when they pushed each other when they were kind of at each other's throats like literally right. Right. they would have to be separated in practice because they were you know sort of um so combative so I kind of knew like Kobe like I mean this or this is something I guess I've probably learned like you have to like stand up to him. You have to challenge him. Not, not like I was always right or anything, but like you had to like, he really likes that. That's kind of what, and yes, it's intimidating because that's again, part of his, (laughs) his style. Like he, he intimidates, he pushes, he, you know, um, so it wasn't easy. And, but, and it was definitely at times intimidating, but, you know, I kind of like instinctively knew that, and that's not always the case. I mean, it's very different working with Steph Gary, for example, I've been, you know, working with over the last year, just different guy, sure, um, sure. different style. But yeah, Kobe is, you know, like every conversation is kind of, I mean, eventually, you know, you build a relationship and a friendship and a trust and stuff like that. But he's still like, you know, even towards the end of that project, you know, after we had been working on or working together for over a year, there were disagreements and he's not one to back <laughs> down. But by that time, i had also learned like, you know, I can't back down. Um, so
1: yeah. So yeah. And, um, speaking of not backing down and how involved he is in the process, um, I, I read a story that he offered to put you up in a house in Newport to be closer for the post-production on Muse. Is that true? Is that,
0: uh, is that how uh, he, he it? He, op- he didn't offer, he didn't offer. He demanded. <laughs> he um, demanded. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Listen, well, so you know that project kind of had different iterations. In the first iteration of it, you know, while he was playing." Cause he had come back that season, uh, was somewhat traditional, I would say, just in terms of like the process. But then he got hurt again. Mm-hmm. He had this, you know, he wasn't going to go back. The diagnosis was like he had to basically sit out the rest of the season. And at that point, he kind of needed something to fill that void for him. And this project, uh, or that project, the Muse Project, became that. And so he became a lot more involved. And he wanted to do a lot more interviews, which was amazing. But yeah, he wanted to be a lot more involved in the <laughs> in the creation, which, you know, look, that's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's what you want. These things are at their best when they are authentic and they're real partnerships between, you know, the filmmaker, the, the creative team and the subject. Like, you know, I always look at, like, that was, you know, aired on Showtime. I was like, I don't work for Showtime. I don't work for Facebook or ESPN. I work with Kobe or Steph or Tom Brady or whatever. Right, And um, So that's, you know, that was the real deal. (laughs) Kobe was like, cool. Uh, Come, my life is in Newport. Of course, my life was in Los Angeles. uh, (laughs) My wife, my son, everything. So I commuted and one of my creative colleagues, partners, who, whose lifestyle could accommodate that at that point in his life did move down and was based in Newport, um, and and yeah, we built like a edit facility literally in Kobe's office, and we would be there till two three in the morning, and he would be there too, um, and it was amazing. I mean, it was it was awesome for the most part. Like you know, again, going back to there were creative differences and disagreements, and we would be. Kind of battling it out at two three in the morning, but we <laughs> sort of like stepped back or took a step back and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm in an edit room at three in the morning, <laughs> arguing with Kobe Bryant. Yeah, what is my life? life? It's pretty awesome, you know.
1: So. Man, that is incredible. And one of the things I love, Gotham, about your interviews and and also about how you do your uh, document documentaries is how intimate you are with the the guest, whether it's Tom Brady or Steph Curry or Kobe, you know, you talked about it being four or five people in, in the room and just that's about it. Do you think that contributes to how well and how close you get to the athlete and telling their story?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's we're asking questions about – you know, their lives on and off the court and their relationships and stuff like that. And, and it's just natural that, you know, the fewer people, the more trusted and familiar people in that room, you're going to get more honest and, and like you said, intimate answers. And so I think that's, you know, that's by design. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I will always be willing to sacrifice a little in terms of cinema and you know spectacle and beauty shots for that more raw and intimate honesty um that's just sort of like I think creatively where I and my team tends to trend and so we definitely try to keep it tight and I just feel a lot more like even me like you know I've, I've done obviously bigger stuff and I've done commercial stuff and like um you know with brands and stuff and I'm always like When you walk onto a set and there's like 30, 40, 50 people and there's, (laughs) you know, catering and trailers, you're like, wow, like, but it's amazing, but it definitely is harder to create that intimate atmosphere
1: uh,
0: in that environment.
1: Do you feel that... um... Like once you got the final product and you saw it on Showtime for Muse, what was that feeling like for you? Did it feel like a sense of accomplishment? Did it feel like relief? Were you excited about the end product? What was that like?
0: Well, I think, you know, by the time you get to that stage, you're kind <laughs> of just exhausted and you've seen it a thousand times. It's, I mean, yeah, you're seeing it in a, I guess, a different setting at a premiere or something like that. Um you tend to, like, I'm one of those people, and I think most of the people I work with are like this, is, like, you still, like, even that, for the thousandth time when you see, like, oh, man, that moment, like, oh, the coloring is off there, or the sound design, I wish I had that, or something like that. Um, I think it's, like, when you get space from it, like, months pass, like, even now, like, talking about that project, which is now five, six years old, you know, you realize, like, how special it was, you realize, like, you get past those little things, oh, I wish we had done that different, I wish we had done that different, and you just realize, like, how special that was, and, and more than the film, it's the relationships, you know, mm-hmm. um, that you formed, and I still, you know, I met people along the way that I still work with now, on, you know, you build a community of creators, and, and I've been fortunate now to sort of create my own company, a lot of the, you know, same people work with me full-time, um, on on some of these new projects and so I'd say that's like the biggest takeaway and you know people go on I've gone on to do other stuff Kobe's doing a lot of other things and had an enormous success but it, you know and it's like we're not necessarily collaborating on any of those projects but you still feel a sense of pride like I'm a part of his success he's sure. a part of mine um, and and I'd say those are the biggest takeaways
1: that's great and after you completed the the, the interview or uh, f- completed the the stuff with Kobe what happened next what did you where did you want to go next did you follow a creative story or anything like that or did you just uh, um, where'd you go next I after that? Learned,
0: yeah I' learned so much from working with him probably yeah, I mean first of all I think I want I needed a break you know I was pretty exhausted just from from uh, <laughs> He's a lot. He takes a lot. And that's kind of both the you know the good thing and the it's, – it's the best of times and the worst of times with him. And, and I really – again, looking back, it was pretty much 99% great things. Um, but I was definitely tired and I definitely kind of – it was also hard to imagine where do you go because Kobe is not only one of the most um, elite athletes and biggest names and iconic – But he's also got an intensity and intelligence that, you know, is hard to really rival. And so, you know, just jumping to another big name was not something I was necessarily um, ready for. I got this interesting opportunity to work with, uh, you know, a pro football player named Victor Cruz, who in many ways was like the antithesis of Kobe, like, more of a you know Kobe was like the guy who was born to be great and like when you follow his life story and he, he was like the chosen one like you were he was always in and, and Kobe's great at kind of mythologizing himself and so he had an ability to articulate that story like I was always destined for this thing let me tell you that story Victor was like the opposite like he was the guy who like sort of little known small school right never should have made it all of that sort of stuff undrafted you know difficult family background all of that sort of stuff and i don't know there was something just really and one i mean amazing guy got to know him i'm a huge football fan even though i don't like the giants i'm a patriots fan but <laughs> hey me neither <laughs> um, yeah oh yeah the cowboys fan um but you know there was something sort of really contained and interesting and likable about victor so i jumped onto that project it was short didn't take us very long um and you know it was really enjoyable but it was just it was a creative challenge in a different way so that was fun and then um yeah then it sort of i think I'm trying to think now i think Tom Brady came after that and that's like its own you know sort of incredible journey
1: yes and let's let's talk about that cuz that was the first show i watched and i was just like wow you know Tom Brady is a is like a god in the football world, and then the way you were able to bring other parts of his life, his family, his, you know, his his spirituality, you know, his 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 relationship with his age, and you know, turning forty. How can you talk to us about that creative process and what that journey was like?
0: Yeah, so that journey was like probably five years in the making. <laughs> I had gotten to know Tom you know, through some mutual friends and stuff out here in Los Angeles where I live. He used to spend his off seasons here. I mean, I should even go back, though. Like, I, I'm a Patriots fan, so and oh, I joke man. to Tom about this all the time. Like, I was a Patriots fan way before Tom Brady started playing. Like, I was a Patriots fan when the Patriots sucked. Like, they were terrible in the 90s, I guess, 80s, 90s. And um, they were, like, embarrassingly bad. And somehow I stuck it through and was a huge Patriots fan. So when Tom showed up on the scene in 2001 and first Super Bowl, and then on, you know, I didn't, I probably met him for the first time in 2000, I don't know, 11 ish, and um, maybe 2010 a little bit earlier. And so I was always, I was like a huge fan, and he had changed the fortunes of that franchise. Oh, I'd watched, you know, sure. by that time. Like well, they had won maybe three Super Bowls, you know, through that era, and so I was like a huge fan, and probably ever since I knew him, I had been telling him like, "Hey, I we need to document this. This is incredible. This is," and he kept on basically saying no, (laughs) just like yeah, (laughs) hunting, yeah, not interested, not the right time, focused on football, blah blah blah. Like so, it wasn't until you know that that uh, I guess would be 2017, um, that he kind of finally said, okay, you know what, turning 40, there was a lot of noise around that. And, you know, he had definitely, he'd pretty radically changed the way in which he was training. You know, his injury, the the Achilles, uh, he had torn his ACL back in 2008, um, 2009 or something. That had changed him. That had changed the way he approached his training. And not just his physical training, but just the way in which he, I think, um, his relationship with, with football. Um, and then there were a lot of other things like off the field that changed him from, you know, birth of his son Jack to getting married to Giselle and all that sort of stuff. More kids, et cetera. So it was just like, you know, and again, like what I found over time is, you know, it's it's relationships. So I kind of needed those, and Tom probably needed those, like, a couple years of, like, me badgering him, but also <laughs> building a trust and a relationship. Sure. And And so right. that project, you know, came when it came, but it was really a function of years' worth of us kind of talking about sports. I mean, you know, as a fan, I could talk about Patriots, you know, like, he had a very different perspective on it, but, like, you know, I could... Talk my way through football, for sure. But then also, like, again, Tom, like Kobe, kind of the same age. And so there's a lot of life experience that was similar as, you know, having kids, growing up, getting married. Right. Like, all that sort of thing. And so, yeah, he and I formed a relationship. And then that project came along when it did. And, and again, started as one thing, which is going to be short and fun and about him turning 40. And I spent a lot of time with him during the off-season, that off-season, just, like, looking at his his physical training. But, I, you know, as a documentarian, you know, your job is to observe. And so I observed, and I was like, yeah, like, I get the pliability part of his physical training and how that, you know, sort of prepares his body. But I also observed, like, all these other things that he was doing and that he was thinking about mm-hmm. and that I felt like were – A part of his success and so in a way I kind of pitched it back to him and said hey we've set up this sort of challenge like can you do this at 40 I want to like track the answer and I want to track the journey and at that point again mostly just comfort trust relationship he was willing to do it so we kept going
1: man that is so cool and yeah I the other thing I love about it is at the end of it you know it's kind of like what's next for Tom like you know you know the story's not over cuz you know he's playing at such a high level how did you find that okay this is like one of the things you you talked about is you, uh, the scarcity of the the uh the show like you're not going for season 2 or season 3 did you feel good about where you ended the story or ended the documentary hmm.
0: Well, I'm a huge Patriots fan, so I hated the way that story kind of ended. That's true,
1: that's true. Um,
0: But, you know, like, it was sort of conflicting because on the one hand, as a fan and as a friend uh, of Tom's, like, I knew the sense of disappointment. I felt it. I knew how important it was to him. I mean, as a fan, I knew how important it was to me and (laughs) other fans. But as a storyteller... And also kind of as a friend, like, you know, and, and Tom will be the first person to tell you, it's like the losses, you remember the losses way more than you do as an athlete, as a, yeah. than you do the wins. The scar so tissue. Yeah. <laughs> so as a storyteller, it was like, man, this loss might. <laughs> be better for us you know like in terms of the ending of that series right just in terms of like and I read you really feel it in that last episode with him like he's at a loss for words it's super quiet but then he started to get reflective and stuff like that and in a way I think it gave him the fuel he needed and and certainly it you know played itself out on the field the next year and for sure you know I've been I've been kind of with Tom and you know Tom's really good friend now, and also a partner in the company, you know religion of sports that uh, I have. like he's he's one of the co-founders with me. So I'm very close to him, and I could tell like what that, frankly, like how that helped him the next year. And I believe, and I think Tom probably believes had he not lost in two thousand and seventeen against the Eagles, there's no way um, would have won the next year against the Rams right. uh, or just been back in that game. Uh, right. I think it really gave him a purpose to he's at a point now in his career obviously where it's like his legacy is cemented. He doesn't need to do this. He needs to have a reason year to year. Right. And and I think it's more than just like proving the da- he likes he likes to win, you know, and and you know, unless he believes or really has a strong need to or, yeah, strong will to win, I think that will be the thing that will determine when he finishes, not like, can he or can he do it physically? I I mean, there's no reason to doubt that he can't just keep doing it physically um, (laughs) based on everything we're seeing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then, Gotham, how did you go from that to talking about an athlete in a completely different vein, completely different sport um, with Steph Curry? Can you tell us about that story?
0: Sure. Well, you know, in between those projects was another really cool one with LeBron. Um, oh, of course. Dribble.
1: Yes. Very different.
0: Very, very different. You know, not necessarily about LeBron, but really co-conceived by LeBron. And he's a very different type of athlete just in terms of his cultural, political, social resonance and, and activism in a way. Right. Um, so that was a really fun project that kind of like was right in and almost like simultaneous with um, the Tom one. Um, But Steph, you know, basically came about as, you know, we so the Brady thing was wildly successful on Facebook Watch. And, you know, Facebook, in the wake of that, wanted to do more and really turn this um, franchise that we had created versus into something more long-term and like an anthology type of Mm -hmm, format and franchise. mm -hmm. And, you know, with Tom, you're sort of starting at the, top of the food chain just in terms of like elite athletes etc so you know as you look around the landscape like okay if that's like the the bar it's actually kind of pretty short list and you know Steph was on that list because of you know not only everything he's accomplished but kind of who he is his you know iconography I guess his family I mean I sort of look at Steph and Got to know Dell, his his dad, and even his brother Seth. Like they're the first family of basketball, Mm -hmm. Um, and and so there was a cool story to be told. And Steph, you know, large part of that is also like how they how we choose those is like who's on the Facebook platform, who's on Instagram, who's got a presence, who's got a active fan community, and who um, and so he's all of the above. As is actually his wife Aisha, Um, and so that became. That's kind of how he became part of the conversation. Then I, again, got to know him and figure out, like, you know, we're always trying to figure out, like, okay, great celebrity, great, you know, amazing basketball player. We can follow you around with a camera. That's not hard. But it's, like, what are we what are we trying to say? Like, why are we really going to do this? Yeah. We're going to spend a year. If I'm going to spend a year, if Steph's going to spend a year, we're going to be in, in, in each other's lives, you know, what do we want to say? Because I don't think any of us want to – or need to create a reality show version of this thing. So, like, what's the underlying motive? What's the point of view? And and why are we doing this? And, uh, so, that,
1: how, how did you develop what point of view or what the epicenter of the story was for Steph? It's getting to
0: know the person. I mean, mm-hmm. like with Tom, it was pretty obvious. Like, it was aging. It was, you know, this idea of defying conventions, I think with Steph, you know, who's at a very different stage of his life of his career, it was um, it was understanding him, understanding his values, understanding you know how big a part of his success his family is and his faith is, and so faith sort of became, I would say, the epicenter of that, just from a theme perspective. <clears throat> um, and I could tell like that was important. He had a lot to sort of. He kinda of wanted to explain his faith because I think there's somewhat of a misconception around it. Like, um and so that sort of became the theme. But then like the storytelling, kind of like with Tom, is like, okay, well now we get like what we want to talk about, but how are we gonna talk about it? how are we're gonna make this last across six episodes? And that's just where I and my my I got an amazing team. You know, we sort of get into the war room and we battle it out and we hash it out and we, you know, if we like like let stuff you know, train for the upcoming season and we figure it out and then we go back to him and present and, you know, kind of make sure we're on the same page. And that's kind of how, how the sausage is made, so to speak.
1: Yeah, no, that's really interesting because a lot of people see the end product and then they say, man, the, all the work that goes into it is, you know, a peek under the hood, which I think is, is really interesting to, to me as well as, as our listeners. Um, Gautha, I want to spend some time talking to you about relationships. You know, one of the things that you've done super well is building these relationships over time with LeBron, with Kobe, with Steph, with Tom. How do you approach these relationships individually? Cause I'm sure each person needs something a little bit different. Do you like, how do you what do you do to to build these so well to make and it shows up in your work um i think I mean
0: you listen uh first of all like it's about um understanding who that person is treating them as an individual look you bring your experience and certainly in sports you know you learn a lot and there's a lot of similarities obviously between elite athletes in terms of like how they physically prepare how they mentally prepare how they manage their lives and all that sort of stuff so you certainly bring that with you but then you know as it's like with any relationship is you to get to know them and you get to know their families and you get to know what's important to them and, and, you know, what their fears are. So it's, it's just, it's time and it's, you know, relationship and it's trust. And look, I've been lucky, obviously, you know, not just because of, I think it's like the family I come from, it's the, and what that has exposed me to over time. And now it's like this, this, um, track record of, of work and, you know, I was joke, like starting In some ways, at least in this genre of like working with athletes with Kobe, um, you know, Kobe has a reputation and a well-earned reputation for being tough and like, you know, being um, super smart and hard to hard to work with. But I don't mean that in a critical way. Challenging, probably a better, you know, way to describe it. And I think because we did that, because we had success together, that that gave people a sort of confidence that, like, oh man, if you could do that with Kobe and Kobe could trust you, then I can. And, and certainly that just be, it, it's sort of self fulfilling as long as you get it right. Right. You know, same thing with Tom because, and then you get access into their worlds. And, you know, Tom, it's not just Tom, it's Giselle. It's like, it's, and so it's, but it's also being very, very conscious of that and being very, Protective of it in a sense, like, you know, I think I said earlier, like, um, I look at it as like I'm Tom and, and Giselle's partner in when we start working on a project, or Steph and Aisha or Kobe or whatever. And it's being very sensitive to that and mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, for the 90 minutes or two hours or however many minutes end up on the screen, you know, we're capturing and documenting, and there's hours upon hours upon hours of material. Some of which, you know, in hindsight, you look at and you're like, yeah, you know, after you filmed it, and you're like, that's mm, that's too personal, that's too sensitive, or that's going to give the wrong impression, you know, and, and that's something I'm mindful of, um, maintaining that trust uh, with right. whoever I'm working with. So, you know, that's a big part of it, I would say.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so important is maintaining that trust so both sides feel comfortable staring Sharing those stories that that's intimate to to both of the, both of you guys. Um, yeah, I want to talk about what's next. Is there something that you're working on that you're excited about that you're passionate about, that you can give our listeners a, a preview? Well, you know,
0: I'm most excited about like what we're building. I would say beyond the individual projects. I mean, there are definitely. Um, some really cool individual projects in the works. But, you know, I formed a company now, it's a couple of years old, called The Religion of Sports, which yep. uh, started as its own television series, has evolved both Tom and Michael Strahan are my founders. We've got a team of 10 people full time. They're incredible. They're just talented. And, you know, it's a very different experience to build a company than to build a project. Yeah. And... And it's a very different challenge for me. Like the the project thing, and I still love that, and I'll do more of that kind of in terms of my role as a director or whatever. But like, uh, it's kind of like I know how to do that, and there's something very challenging about like, okay, like building a company, building, you know, having a vision, like, me, um, ma- you know, managing a team, getting everybody on board with that vision, tweaking that vision because you know things change and and thinking beyond just like how do we, you know, just create another docuseries or something like that. Like what's what's what does this company mean? What do we want to do? How do we want to impact people, et cetera? So I'd say that's actually the thing I'm most excited about. Yeah. Um and you know, we're doing projects, we're launching our own podcasts, we're developing our own voice and social media and stuff like that. Uh, And it's a really, as you know, obviously, it's like it's a really incredible time to sort of be in the content and media space. For sure, a lot of opportunities, a lot of changing dynamics, and so sort of reacting to that um, is probably the thing, yeah, that is most exciting.
1: That's so cool, Uh, and I think um, putting on a different hat and like building a company is probably, as you said, a new skill set, but. Probably scary at moments like going back to your first uh you know experience with Kobe you're intimidated this could be intimidating to anyone to to start their own company. Have you found things that have worked well for you or things that you know would you would you would need to get better at yeah.
0: well, I think you always like get want to get better at at things I mean look i I bring a lot of the experience I guess that I've had. Um, working with athletes, it goes back to listening. You know, sure. At the end of the day, it's every companies are made up of people, and you know, people have families, people have you know aspirations, people have fears, and so it's like listening to that and understanding how do we all, <clears throat> you know, get get aligned on a vision and then um, hold each other accountable and move things forward. But yeah, it's intimidating in the sense of like you know you do bring on people. And when you bring on people, you're you're bringing on everything along with that. You're bringing on their families. Right. And, and so, you know, that that comes with a lot of responsibility. I take that pretty seriously. And that's its own type of pressure. Um, and in some ways, like it's a way bigger pressure than, you know, getting the shot wrong or I don't know, like, you know, um, getting the story a little bit wrong. Right. Right. Um, but, but it's also, it's exciting. We're building something together and we're building something that's bigger than any one project or any one individual. And and I think that's, you know, when it's working, that's what's most exciting about it.
1: For sure, for sure. Cool. Um, now we're at the last part of the interview. I'd love to move to our rapid fire questions. And these are mm-hmm. questions that we've asked all our guests, but we want to hear your amazing answers my first question got them and this is a, a personal question i want to hear do you have an all-time favorite sports moment one that gives you chills that you can describe for us
0: i mean you know i'm a boston fan and so it's <laughs> funny because like uh, uh, my entire childhood in some ways was a frustration loss like you know terrible traumatic losses with the red sox and and Celtics, uh, Patriots were, like I said earlier, embarrassing. And yet I'd say the latter half of my life so far has been incredible success. Incredible. Like just as a sports fan, I'd say the two, going back to Tom, the 2002 playoff run, you know, starting against the Raiders and the tuck roll and then on through the Super Bowl, Um, that is one you're beating the Rams just like Just awesome. I mean, it's like, as a fan, the first real championship that I think I witnessed after like decades of frustration. (laughs) You're like, yes, finally. Yeah. (laughs) And then the other one has to be the Red Sox in 2000, you know, which is really starts in 2003 when they, you know, lost to the Yankees. Goddamn the Yankees, like um, in the ALCS uh, in 2003, but then came back in 2004 down 0-3 against the Yankees, uh, won four in a row, and then went on to win their first World Series. So, those are probably the two biggest, as a fan, for me, moments.
1: That's awesome. Those are iconic moments that you probably yeah. will never forget. <laughs> no. Um, Definitely not. My second question is this, um, you know, being South Asian American, you know, the reason why I started this podcast is to hear stories from people like you who are doing things off the beaten path. Has your identity played with anything that you've done in your work or has being South Asian been something that's been important to you to to be a, a part of your work or your life? Um.
0: Yeah, I think, well, you know, my South Asianness is, first and foremost, tied it into my family and, um, you know, my upbringing, my, my background. You know, I, I think that everything I do and religion of sports, like the whole mission of the company, and then just like these individual relationships that I build with, you know, a lot of the subjects is stems from my family background, specifically my father and just like the work he's done, um, just kind of. But, you know, I guess... What I'm trying to say is, like, my father has largely been, you know, one of the pioneers, I I would say, in the West in terms of bringing um, South Asian philosophy and and lifestyle. And I think I've sort of, like, integrated that into my work. And I think now, you know, when I – like, so many of the athletes I work with are talking about things like, you know, mindfulness, which is sort of like the (laughs) – trendy, anglicized word for meditation. Right. And, you know, they're they're practicing things like yoga. Um, and so, like, I, yeah, I think, like, my... And these are things that I'm genuinely interested in, not just because I'm South Asian, but because they've been a part of, you know, my life, my lifestyle, my family background, et cetera, my cultural background. And, uh, you know, it's... I'd say, actually, the unifying theme in a lot of the work we do is about human potential and and how are you the best version of yourself? And these are themes that have, you know, been at the heart of like Eastern traditions for South Asian traditions for, you know, millennia.
1: Absolutely. Um, The third question I have is, is there a movie or book that has had the most impact on you that you can recall?
0: Um, I mean, I think like in my, um you know Senna like great sports documentary about uh the Brazilian race car driver from the 70s um Senna like amazing actually uh directed by a South Asian uh whose name shoot I'm forgetting right now um god what's his name I'm gonna google it right now um but that's an amazing documentary and uh something I would yeah has had incredible influence on me um but you know i also like i'd say that's one of the ones that really like stands out but Mm -hmm. um asif kapadia is his name um asif is an amazing filmmaker but you know i kind of like i don't know i saw free solo of course like everyone else last year and i was just like inspired by that and um you know, the OJ documentary a couple of years ago on ESPN, just in terms of like, it's, you know, cultural resonance and social resonance, um, that, so I, I, you know, I have my own, I guess, selection of, of stuff, but I'm always like looking for the next thing to get inspired. Yeah,
1: by. sure. Sure. It's a process, right? As new things come up, yeah. they inspire different things about you. Um, Cool. And this is a a pretty tactical question, but I I know a lot of our listeners would love to hear this is, if someone is interested in making documentaries who are, who's interested in filmmaking, but who is South Asian, who has to deal with, you know, the so many cultural things that we have to deal with as parents and, and the society of like pushing you to one way or another, what advice would you give them and why?
0: Well, look, first and foremost, I would say like, do it. You don't really need permission anymore. I mean, everybody's holding a camera in their hands, you know, uh, with their phones. Um, story, you know, there's no, there's not the same barriers to entry there, were a decade ago or two sure. decades ago. Right. You can shoot it. You can put it online, you know, on YouTube or Facebook or wherever, and um, you can, you can do it. You don't need permission to do it. And I think that's first and foremost the thing. And and you know, use that sort of those cultural barriers and those stereotypes as your fuel, like mm-hmm. um to, to break those conventions. I mean, great storytelling requires tension. And so, you know, if you have that in your life already because <laughs> your parents or your you know, your community expects you to do one thing but you want to do something else, I would sort of use that as your fuel. Um, and then I think, like, you know, the first thing I or anyone else, I guess, you know, that um, when people come to work with us and, or, you know, want to work with us, we say, hey, can I see your stuff? And so, you know, that's, that's, like I said, there's no barrier to entry. And I'm not looking to be like, oh, wow, like that drone shot or that, you know, so beautiful or like how big this production is. I'm looking for a storytelling Characters, conflicts, you know, intimacy, access—that sort of thing. I'm not really looking to like for a you know huge production, just like looking for a good story.
1: That's awesome, and I totally agree with you on uh, accessibility. Is like you know, I started this podcast, and I have just a computer, a microphone, and Skype, right? Versus ten years ago, you need all this equipment, and yeah, it's so it's been very uh, illuminating to be able to create content and and. and talk to great people like you just through, um, technology. So I'm, I'm all in on that as well. Gotham, this has been great. Um, I, I, I really appreciate everything that you've done for, for the, for sports, for, for our community and for everything that's, uh, uh all the work that, that, that you've done. That's been absolutely amazing. Um, do you have any, before we close, any final ask for the audience, anything you'd like to leave them with?
0: Uh, not really. You know, look, I mean, it's exciting for me to do stuff like this, to feel like, you know, if I can be any small inspiration to other South Asians, especially, you know, who are on their own jersey, journeys. So, no, I mean, look, I'd say be in touch. Like, you know, we, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're building with, like, the religion of sports. We're, you know, we're everywhere on social media. We have a newsletter. You can sign up for it. Um, comes weekly. So like that, that is a way to be part of this community that we're building to, you know, engage with me. Um, I'm always on, you know, social media individually also, so you can find me there. And yeah, I just like, look, like we've talked about every successful project I've um, worked on has been the product of a genuine relationship. And, you know, it's not just with the Tom Brady's and the Steph Curry's, it's with the filmmakers and the editors and the producers and the writers and the graphic designers i mean i get a lot of the credit obviously but like you know look at the credits there's an there's a village of people that put those together and we're just always looking to grow it you know always looking for um just great minds and great creativity so i would invite people to come be a part of our community get in touch and find ways to collaborate
1: that's awesome That is awesome, and we will include all these links uh, on our website as well, so people who are listening can engage uh, with Gotham at Religion of Sports and and the other mediums. But thank you, Gotham. Thank you for the time, Uh, and I I truly appreciate it, and uh, look forward to being in touch. Hey guys, it's Samir again. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories on South Asians around the world, please check out SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com Stories Podcast.com and subscribe to our email list. That's SouthAsianStoriesPodcast.com Stories Podcast.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.